You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I don't think they're going to fix the pension problem until there actually is a recession, and then everyone's going to be running around the Capitol going, oh, my God, we didn't see this coming. It's the perfect storm. <laughs> and yeah, there's so many perfect storms. No, it's a storm that you've seen coming for a decade. I remember when uh, San Diego was hiring firefighters, and they had to open an arena because there were so many applicants. At one point, there were like 22,000 applicants for every firefighter job. That might be a suggestion that the compensation's out of whack. I mean, just look at it for yourself. And, and that's why we have a pension problem in California, because we're paying public employees based on their political power and the deals they're able to get at the local level and in the state capitol. Mike Green, I'm here in Sacramento, California for Real Vision. I'm really excited to sit down with Stephen Greenhut. Steve, you and I met for the first time about 10 years ago in the aftermath of the global financial crisis in New York City. You came to the Manhattan Institute to speak about a book that you had written called Plunder. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Plunder, what it was about. Sure, I, I call it the subtly titled book Plunder. It's about public employee unions and it's based on my reporting when I was at the Orange County Register and uh, covering the 34 cities that, they, uh, that are in the county. And I was looking at their finances, looking at local politics, uh, looking at the pension crisis that was, was starting to evolve. And the main takeaway that I had through my reporting was the outsized power of public employee unions, especially police and fire unions, who seem to run amok in local, uh, local city councils. They run amok a few blocks away here in the state capitol, uh, but there, there aren't many countervailing forces at the local level. Uh, that, that come anywhere close to, to the power they have. And as a result, they've gotten a level of pay and uh, pensions and medical benefits uh, that dwarf other public employees and certainly are way beyond what the, the average person receives. Well, and this, this was definitely true in 2009, right? Because we'd had the global financial crisis, we'd experienced severe financial distress in the U.S. equity markets, the pensions had underperformed particularly over the prior decade, relative to expectations. We've had a number of guests here in Sacramento talk about SB 400 mm -hmm. and the expansion of the pension benefits that occurred during the dot-com cycle. But that's all been fixed now, right? Uh, no, it hasn't been fixed. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, there, we're, we haven't done anything about it. And we, I shouldn't say we, the, the state government and the localities, and now the localities are suffering. Uh, now, you mentioned SB 400, which was really started the, the huge problems we have in California. That was passed in 1999. Overwhelmingly, uh, the CalPERS, the California Public Employee Retirement System proposal, they said it wouldn't cost taxpayers a dime. They assumed by 2009 that the, uh, the return on investments the stock market, the Dow Jones, would, would be hitting 25000 for it to, to not cost taxpayers a dime. I think it was under 9000 in, in 2009. They were right. It didn't cost taxpayers a dime. It cost taxpayers uh, tens of billions of dollars. And, uh, and, and that, that was the start of it. And it was retroactive. Uh, so so the, the SB 400 
gave retroactive benefit increases, 50% increases uh, to California Highway Patrol, uh, something called 3% at 50. You, you receive 3% of your final year's pay uh, times the number of years work. So if you work 30 years, you get 90% of your final pay plus the various pension spiking gimmicks that can push it even higher than that. So, and it's a guaranteed pension. So they, they passed that and they did it retroactively. So if I'm about to retire tomorrow, I, I get the 50% hike going all the way back to when I started 30 years ago. And then the goal was to have that uh, copied throughout the state. And, and most um, police and fire departments, not all, but most of them across the state uh, did, did the same thing. So it just spread like wildfire. And, and what we got was a, you know, a massive increase in, in the cost of pensions. And it was supposed to be paid for uh, by stock market returns. But what goes up must come down. And then we had the, the, you know, the financial crash. And all of a sudden, uh, we got into these levels of, uh, of unfunded pension liabilities, which is just a fancy word for debt. And uh, the, the localities, many of which supported this and kind of lobbied for these benefits, and of course, a lot of the people working for the city got a lot of the benefits too. Um, they just never, they, they acted like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how this happened. Well, it happened because you gave away the store and then the stock market went down as it ultimately does every, every once in a while. So it feels inevitable that the stock market could go down and, and you, you're exposed to that type of risk. But we forget to a certain extent the dynamics that existed at that time period, right? Because the dot-com cycle had led to such an extraordinary windfall for California across geographies, right? So Southern California had the Qualcomms, et cetera, of the world. Northern California, in terms of Silicon Valley, had all sorts of exposures to different technology companies, Cisco, et cetera, that had IPO'd and made their employees tons of money. And it was a very real question, how could we attract and retain public employees in a very low unemployment environment in which the private sector was doing so extraordinarily well. Does that sound familiar or was it just a wholesale giveaway the store? Well, I'm, I lead more towards the wholesale giveaway, trying to get people to work for uh, the salaries that are offered, especially in public safety, never been a problem. I remember when uh, San Diego was hiring firefighters and they had to open an arena because there were so many applicants. At one point, there were like 22,000 applicants for every firefighter job. That might be a suggestion that the compensation's out of whack. Currently, for firefighters in California, um, at, the, at the municipal level, it's a little lower at the state level, but at the municipal level, it's around $200,000 is the average compensation package uh, for a California firefighter. Manhattan Beach, their average is top 300,000. There are a dozen cities where it's above 250,000. It's not hard uh, to, to find people who will apply to those jobs, and, and it's, it's ridiculous. So uh, that's the excuse they used. And there are certainly some, some areas where, you know, there, there might have been uh, some, some difficulty attracting people, but certainly not in fire. And uh, there are plenty of people, uh, you know, for the higher paid, higher pensioned jobs, there's no problem getting, getting people. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
But that's easy for you to criticize, because I mean, you were a reporter at the OC Register, so you were receiving three, four hundred thousand dollars a year in total compensation as well, right? Right, every day of the week. Every yeah, day, yeah. yeah. Daily <laughs> compensation. Yeah. But that actually brings up an important point that I've talked about with other, um, you know, with other guests. The role of newspapers like the OC Register in terms of having local beat reporters focused on this information, how has that changed? Well, there just aren't as many reporters. I mean, we, we no. uh, you know, the whole newspaper uh, industry has, uh, you know, suffered uh, and we, we've seen the result. And without as much local coverage, you have fewer people, uh, you know, I, I think the papers, a lot of the papers, the Register and others do a good job. They just don't have the number of uh, employees and the n number of people focusing on, on uh, local content. And also what you're seeing is a lot of the papers have become more regional and they have to do more content sharing. It's economies of scale. It makes perfect sense. And it's just, we, we've seen what's happened in the, in the journalism industry. It's changed a lot. A lot of the online journalism, I mean, there's good, there's good stuff everywhere, uh, but there's also a lot that doesn't do in-depth reporting. So it's, it's uh, things like pensions. You really need reporters uh, to be looking at the numbers and and city budgets, and I don't think there's as much focus. There's a lot of opinion stuff out there. I just don't see as much focus on, on local budgets. And well, there, there's also the underlying dynamic of when the news was distributed, and in, as you know, in, in 2008, 2009, there was still a quite significant debate about what the role of local news was. Right, Warren Buffett famously invested heavily in community newspapers, which is now looking pretty much like a zero for the investment that he made. But this idea that that channel controlled the information source for most people facilitated the awareness of that information, right? Well, you know, it, it, there it, all sorts of ways to get information, right? So there's there are some websites uh, uh, I go to, like uh, you know, all, that have good pension information. Um, and it's just sometimes you have to look at the numbers yourself. So there's one site I like called Transparent California, and it will boggle your mind when you start looking at the pay and benefit packages that California public employees receive. You just see page after page of police sergeants with total compensation packages in the three to $600,000 range. I mean, just look at it for yourself. And, and that's why we have a pension problem in California, because we're paying public employees based on their political power and the deals they're able to get at the local level and in the state capital. And okay, so you were, you were talking about in 09, there's talk that, well, we're in a new economy that's never gonna go down again, right? Or, it's or 99. 99, yeah, yeah, 99, I'm sorry. By 2009, we saw that isn't true. Right. Um, but in the ensuing years, when the economy has bounded back, uh, what has the state legislature done? What have city councils done? Uh, they, they just, they're back to the same thing. They're pretending that the, the stock market will continue to just perform and perform. It's a little bit ironic seeing uh, California Democrats who, you know, they have iron control of everything in the Capitol, uh, wholly dependent on the Trump economy uh, to, to, to keep their, their budget. So we just had a record setting uh, more than $220 billion budget and the governor's putting a few more billion towards pensions, you know, but throwing another $3 billion towards a pension hole that's estimated anywhere from 350 billion to $1.5 trillion, depending on whose calculations you want to use. And, and of course, uh, defined benefit uh, pensions are based on guesswork. So CalPERS and CalSTRS uh, use a rate of return, they expect a rate of return of 7%. 
It's reduced somewhat from what it was before. But those are pretty high rates of return. I mean, I know most people, uh, you know, if you could guarantee a 7% rate of return, um, a lot of people would just put their money there. So it's a pretty aggressive rate of return still. Uh, if you go closer to the treasury rate, then the, the unfunded liabilities are much higher than that. And, but, but here's the big question. So after, uh, you know, it's been another decade of, of really well-performing uh, record stock market returns, right? And CalPERS and CalSTRS are only funded at around 70%, meaning they only have 70% of the funds needed to fulfill all the pension promises made to current retirees and current workers. What happens if the stock market does go down? And I was in the press pool for a long time, and Jerry Brown, um, you know, I actually like in many ways, he, he would always, at his budget and may revise, he would always have those charts, and he'd have these charts, and he'd point, and it showed down years outnumbering up years. And he would always warn of a recession. You know, recession's right around the corner. There's always a chance of recession. I, I think he's right. I mean, we don't have one. I don't want one. But at some point, it's more likely than not that we're going to have a recession. And then what happens to those, uh, those unfunded pension liabilities? What happens to these cities that uh, are, are begging the state for some kind of relief? Uh, and and they're, so, so uh, cities are pushing, and some of them, 16% of their budget going to pensions. Uh, for, for police, 50%, typically 50% of, of, of the salary they get uh, goes to pensions. In some cities, it's up to 100%. Well, in, in Vallejo, California, you had a statistic, I believe that was 85% of the budget for um, public employee salaries or public employee compensation was going to pay pension costs before they filed for bankruptcy. You know, I don't recall. 85% sounds high okay. uh, for just pensions. Yeah. I would think that would be for total uh, public I was, safety I think it was budget. 85% of their total public employee spending. So roughly half of the total amount was going to the pensions. Well, what, what I can say is, it's, uh, I, I don't have statistics in front of me, what I, is that the, the percentage of budgets going to pensions and public employee compensation overall is skyrocketing. And San Jose, it went up 350% in a, in a decade before the city uh, put a ballot measure uh, to reduce pensions, which was then overturned by the courts. So cities are in a jam. There's nothing they can really do. And they're watching the, they're watching the, the curve go like this. So they're, what are they doing? They're cutting their workforce. Um, a lot of cities, uh, when they came to this CalPERS meeting in 2017... To, just very quickly, CalPERS yeah. is the California Public Employee Retirement, Retirement System. system right. So they, they were, like Oroville, the city finance director in Oroville said, we're, you know, we're talking about the, the B word, the bankruptcy word. They're, they're, they're worried, they're watching. They said they re reduced their workforce by a third. Um, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing cutbacks. Assemblyman, former Assemblyman Joe Nation, Democrat from uh, uh, Marin County, uh, who now is at a Stanford Economic Institute. And he did a, a study a couple of years ago about uh, crowd out, which is just uh, you know, a pension geek term for uh, we're spending so much on pensions that we're crowding out uh, park maintenance and, and everything else. So um, I, I have a house in Stockton. I'm in Stockton a lot. It's a nice old city. And the infrastructure is, is crumbling. Uh, they don't have the money. So much of the money is going to, uh, uh, to, to pensions. So even after bankruptcy, they chose not, city officials chose not to abrogate the pensions, reduce the pensions, um, even though the judge, Judge Klein, said that they could. Instead, they raised taxes. 
So on the March ballot, 231 California cities have some sort of, and school districts, have some sort of tax, bond, uh, school bond, parcel tax, transient op occupancy tax, some sort of tax measure. And, and they, uh, you know, it's, it, so none of them are gonna be pitched as a pension tax, they're a public safety tax or a, a school facilities tax, but money's fungible. If you use all your money for public employee compensation, you gotta find money elsewhere, so they go to the taxpayers. So just like after Stockton had its workout plan approved by, by the bankruptcy judge, they went and asked for a public safety tax. And of course, local people in cities, they, they, they wanna have safe streets, so they usually vote yes. Uh, but that money's needed because of the pressure coming uh, from pensions. So what can your average voter actually do, right? What, what can your voter do in the, in the face of that? Because nobody wants to run the risk that those in charge of public safety say, well, you didn't fund the public safety tax, therefore you have none. Well, it's the dilemma that we always get up at the legislature, right? They hold transportation funding hostage. In other words, they spend all the money on these ever-increasing general fund budgets. They spend it on various and sundry uh, programs of all sorts, and then they don't adequately fund uh, road infrastructure. They certainly don't adequately fund water infrastructure. And then they put a bond on the, on the, on the ballot saying, hey, if, if you don't vote to raise your, uh, well, state bonds don't directly raise your property taxes, local bonds do, but if you don't vote uh, for, for this additional borrowing, you're gonna have crummy roads and you're gonna have uh, you know, inadequate water infrastructure systems and then voters tend to vote yes and then they still have crummy roads and crummy water infrastructure systems because then, uh, especially if you look at some of the bonds, a lot of them go more to pork barrel projects than to, to things, but some of the, some of the spending helps. Yeah, it's, it's the dilemma. I tend to vote no. I, I believe in uh, enforcing, uh, trying to force the government to live within its budget. They're never going to do that. And I don't think they're going to fix the pension problem until there actually is a recession. And then everyone's going to be running around the Capitol going, oh, my God, we didn't see this coming. It's the perfect storm. <laughs> and yeah, there's so many perfect storms. No, it's a storm that you've seen coming for a decade. Well, it'll be the most beautiful storm, the biggest, most the beautiful, biggest perfect one, yes. storm. Yes, it'll be huge. The underlying dynamic um, that we're seeing is this, this dynamic of factions that are extraordinarily motivated, right? So the pensions are very important to the public employee unions. Mm -hmm. And an additional $100 tax assessed to my property in Marin County or wherever I happen to live, Stockton, it's not catastrophic to me at this stage, right? So while I may grumble and I may be upset about it, I, I'm not gonna stand in the way, right? Or, I, or at least that's what we're seeing in terms of the voting behavior of homeowners uh, in the state of California. If we take the money away, if we refuse to vote for these issues, what happens then? You know, things are gonna not get built and uh... Look, I'm not a political activist. I, I, I just said what I, what I do, but it doesn't, it, neither way works, right? If you yeah. give them the money, you just get more of the same. If you don't give them the money, you get more of the same. So uh, it's not as if you, you, you know, I think at the local level, if voters reject a, uh, a, a school bond, I remember one, uh, one measure, uh, this was back in Ohio, there is no plan B. You have to vote for this or there is no plan B. The world's going to end. 
and the voters um, rejected it. And the next day they came out with plan B. So I'm all for trying to force them to come to plan B, but I'm not a political activist. I, I have no illusions that uh, voting one way or the other, voting for one candidate or voting for one measure or not, is gonna, gonna do anything. I, I think the outside economic pressures were gonna, is what is ultimately gonna uh, force people in the legislature or the, the local cities to do anything. But the cities are in the real, real pickle. Um, the state budget, only a small portion actually goes to pensions. Um, at the local budget, a large portion goes, and a huge portion goes to public employee compensation, and those numbers are going up. So, you know, to the local voter, I say, yeah, I, I mean, you, maybe you, you're, you're gonna be funding, uh, you know, you're gonna continue to help the city kick the can down the road, but, but you know, they're, they're looking at closing parks and reducing, reducing every sort of budget. I mean, that, that whole, crowd out phenomenon is real and it it's it's uh, it's just a, it's just a mess and it's it comes from the political power of unions and um, and and people tend to go along to get along right if, if you're running for office and you're gonna try to do something about pensions you know I could introduce you to a number of candidates who've tried and uh, most of them are not. In, are no uh, longer. They're candidates. not in. They're no yeah. longer. They're ex-candidates. Yeah. So when you think about the underlying dynamics of the players at this game, right? I was having a conversation with Michael Janest, who we both yeah. know, um, about some of this dynamic. And part of the challenge, as I see it, is is that nobody in the process is intending to be, at least almost nobody in the process is intending to be a bad actor. Right, the union representatives represent their, their members. The politicians represent their constituents, understanding that the performance in their job requires first and foremost that the teachers don't go on strike, that the police show up, um, that you avoid the disruption that's occurring. The police and the teachers are rightly looking at themselves and their community. And with the exception of, of those who are benefiting from extraordinary largesse, probably look at their surrounding community and say, I'm middle class, right? This is California. You know, $300,000 is a lot of money almost everywhere in the, in the world. But if you happen to live in Orange County, $300,000 is very nice, but you're certainly not driving around in a Lamborghini, or at least you're probably not. Okay, a nice Mercedes, maybe. A nice, yes, right, on lease. Um, <laughs> But nobody is explicitly trying to be a bad actor in this process. Um, I, I don't argue that people are bad people. Yeah. They're just, uh, the system is designed in a way where those with a great deal of political power get their way. That's the way politics is. It's just an imbalance in the power dynamic. Yep. So uh, you, you shouldn't be able to spend more, more than, uh, than you can afford. Of course, we look at the federal government. What do we have, a trillion dollar annual deficits now and a $23 trillion debt. So I don't know, maybe, maybe locals are looking at the, at the feds for, uh, uh, for their inspiration. I, it's not about uh, ill intent. I, I don't argue anything in my book about ill intent. It's, it's just about the, the system as, as it's working right now. And So how would you change the system? If well, I give you the magic wand. Oh, magic, it's real simple. On, on pensions, it's real simple. Uh, you, you know, there, there are a few, you could sit down with some actuaries, some of whom you've interviewed and talk about what you do. 
and uh, you could move to a, um, uh, well, first, first thing I would do, simplest thing, California rule. That's the rule that you cannot reduce pensions going forward, even going forward, right? Um, unless you give the employees an equal or, or greater benefit. So when I, I worked at one company and I actually had a very small defined benefit plan, and a defined benefit is the plan you're guaranteed a rate of return based on a formula. A defined contribution is the employer gives a specific contribution and then however the stock market works, like 401k. So the California rule has made it impossible for local and state governments to reduce benefits going forward. So need to overturn the California rule. The legislature could do that. The courts, uh, the California Supreme Court just hunted on a case, a Marin County uh, case, uh, and, and basically avoided dealing with the key issue, even though the Brown administration had written a very compelling brief arguing that they ought to take a look at the, uh, uh, the California rule. It was dealing with a, it's something called airtime. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just a, a specific benefit, but they, they dealt with the airtime issue uh, where you buy extra credits and reject it, and they, they allowed the, the state to remove that benefit, but they didn't deal with the California rule. So the legislature could go and change the California rule if it wanted to, which would just mean, like when I worked at, at this private company, starting tomorrow, I receive a lesser pension benefit. I'm not having anything taken away from me. I'm made whole through the end of today, but starting tomorrow, you'll get a lesser benefit. So, so that, would, that in itself would, would, would get, the, uh, get the cities off the hook. Uh, I think uh, public employees ought to have the same type of pension that others have, which is mostly 401k. Um, I think it's impossible to have a defined benefit plan that doesn't get manipulated in the political process because we're guessing about rates of return and the formulas are just naturally, it's easy for politicians to keep increasing the formulas. So most of us have 401k. I mean, how are, how are we, most people retiring? Various investments you make in stocks and real estate, um, social security, uh, whatever, uh, you know, 401k or, or company, uh, uh, you know, pension benefit you get and you reduce you know, you cut back on some lifestyle things when you get older, that's, that's what people do. I don't understand why public employees uh, get these gilded pensions that are so far above what everybody else gets. And then the public employee unions, they say, well, the average is only, you know, 35,000 or 38,000, some, something like that a year. Well, that's true, but the average goes back many years, so it goes back 30 years. And it includes uh, people who have only worked a short amount of time and it includes every category. You know how averages are. And anyway, it's still about four times, three to four times with the average private sector. Now, the interesting thing was uh, back in, uh, was it 2011, former uh, state treasurer Bill Lockyer was speaking to some Northern California pension gathering. And he was talking about what he called pension envy. And that's... Uh, and he was very close to the public employee unions and pension envy was a lot of us at the time, a lot of people were getting pretty upset as the state was in, had, a, had a budget crisis at the time and that propelled the pension crisis onto the front page news. What was it like $30 billion budget deficit, even though that wasn't directly related to pensions. The it was pen an aggregate budget. Yeah, deficit. yeah, but the pensions became an issue. Yep. So some cities like San Diego had a uh, initiative, San Jose had an initiative to to roll back pension benefits uh, one way or the other. Uh, so um, anyway, that's, that's what happened in 2011. And Lockyer had talked to the group and talked about pension envy. And he pitched the idea 
of we need to give something to uh, to private sector workers. And the idea that, that evolved out of that and others, I don't, I don't think he was the one who originally came up with it, but there was the idea that evolved finally in law, it's called secure choice. And it's like the states created a mini social security program, but it only gives a teeny tiny benefit to private sector workers. So my point is that the goal was a political goal as I see it, was to, to reduce pension envy, reduce, stop, the rest of us from being so upset about the massive pensions that public employees get. But if you go to Transparent California or the controller website, um, you'll see the size of those pensions and it just isn't right. And unless you get that compensation part of it under control. So anyway, you're the, the, we, we started talking about uh, what would I do? It, yeah. Well, California rule, that would probably That'd fix be your it first right place there. To start. Yeah, 401k, switch to that. That's much more dramatic. But uh, the, the California rule wouldn't mean eliminating um, defined benefits, but then the 401k. So we could come up with a handful of things uh, to do and uh, it would work, but you can't do it, it's political. Yeah, you can't do it because it's the political problem. So what is required to change the political problem? Can it be done on an individual voter basis? Can we all say no, as you've suggested you do? Can we all, vote a new generation of leadership in? Like, what, what is required to affect that political change? Well, it, a lot of people have been working on changing the politics of California, and uh, um, to no avail from what I see. So I, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't think anything's, I really don't, I'm not trying to be a nattering neighbor, but I don't think anything will change until there's a fiscal crisis that precipitates change. Until, you know, that's what happened last time, right? the state shaved its budgets because it just didn't have any money. And um, I, I remember it was, it was in Pennsylvania, it was some mayor, right, who cut pensions, I believe it was. This was a, yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Was um, it in Wilkes-Barre or somewhere? It was Hazleton. Okay. Yeah, it was somewhere, somewhere in Northeast Pennsylvania. Yeah. And public employees sued, and I think they, I, I'm doing this from memory, so yep. I think they won, and then the mayor, I just remember the mayor saying, great, I still don't have any money. Yeah. So when you get to the point where it's like, great, I still don't have any money, something will have to be done. Now that I decided was it was Scranton. It was Scranton. Okay. It was Scranton. But yes, you're 100% you're right. It, it, nothing was solved. We still didn't have any money. Um, and it, you know, it, it does feel like this is a situation that can't be resolved without suspending some element of the political process. That's what worries me most about it. I know that you have libertarian leanings. Um, it sounds like this is gonna to have to boil down to an executive decision, whether that's a judge in a bankruptcy case, oh, okay. or whether that's- Like I, in I, Detroit, I, where, they, where they had, did they have a, I didn't follow it that closely, I followed yeah. Stockton closely, but not Detroit that closely. So they went into, they had a receiver, right? They went into receivership, yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't think that, that speaks to libertarianism one way or the other. I mean, if, 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 a, if an entity is insolvent, uh, you have to come up with a way to, you know, deal, deal with, uh, deal with it. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a big guy on uh, political solutions. I, I just, you know, I, I you're, you're a reporter at heart. Well, you're, no, I write about it. Yeah. And I, and I, um, I just don't, you know, I've, I've dealt with so many people like, oh, here's the pension reform movement. It's a do dogged group. And you've in this series here, I know you're talking to, to yes. some of them and they've worked, there's some of the smartest people I know, and they are working extremely hard at it and trying everything. And I see local pension activists, you know, in San Jose who, 
okay, that's an overwhelmingly democratic city. And voters there, by almost 70% of the vote, approved a very significant pension reform. And the, the Democratic mayor, Chuck Reed, he's a, he's a great guy, um, he, he, he led that. I remember once I interviewed him when, and I said, uh, so was, was this something this easy? And he looked at me, he said, Steve, none of this has been easy. It was hard work. And they got an Democra overwhelming Democratic majority on the council and in the city to approve pension reform. Then, event, then the union sued and the courts right. threw it out. Yes. In San Diego, uh, the city there, they did something different. They wanted to avoid the California rule problem, right? So they came up with a, a, a way to reduce pensionable pay. Um, the pay they can deal with, and that would reduce the pensions. And they, they did a few other reforms that were all, uh, none of it ran afoul of the California. But anyway, the state agency, the PERB, the Public Employment Relations Board, uh, very, uh, they tossed it out. So you, you just can't win, and you can't win in the legislature. So what do you do? Well, and even within that, I mean, as you know, we were talking to John Morlock earlier, the, he managed to get legislation passed through the two houses to uh, require transparency, electronic transparency of the budgets, right? XBRL markup. And Gavin Newsom vetoes it. I right. mean, what, what could be the possible rationale for why you would veto something that actually provides transparency to a, to a process. I've seen a lot of transparency bills die over the yeah. years because the affected groups don't want transparency. When I had talked earlier about those cities, city officials who came to the CalPERS meeting, uh, they, were, they were dealing with a John Morlock proposal at the time. And John, it was, uh, he had proposed some, it was some sort of transparency initiative. They were, that's what they were about, and, and it, it, CalPERS rejected it. So yeah, it's 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 better if we uh, if we don't know what's going on and we just trust them and and that's that's their attitude it seems. So yeah, you can't get any. I mean, you couldn't. John, if you sat down with John, I mean, he could fix the whole pension problem in ten minutes, um, and then uh, spend the rest of his life and our lifetimes trying to get it through. So that's the problem. It's it's a political problem. And I, I and I don't I don't know what the answer is to political problems. Yeah, I mean unfortunately those who have who have watched my episodes in the past know that, you know, my biggest concern is is that we have a stalled political system and that we will ultimately force a non-democratic solution through. Right. And pensions tend to be the flashpoint um, at which the crisis occurs. Right. So most democracies that experience Pension crises don't emerge as democracies. Somebody has stepped in in an authoritarian way to solve the problem. You know, I haven't thought about, you know, what, what that kind of end result would be, but I mean, I look at, at Washington and, and, okay, we have Republicans now and, and they're spending even more than the previous group of Democrats. So it's just, to me, it looks like a, two groups arguing over how, how you spend it, it seems to be. I mean, if space forces, and military buildups, uh, they cost a lot of money too. And, uh, and, and all this uh, social welfare programs and Medicare for all, I mean, if, if, I, don't, I don't see anybody calling for fiscal responsibility. And um, you know, up in the state capitol, there are all sorts of spending proposals. And, uh, and, and you know, so uh, the, the folks up there are, seem to be content spending as much as they possibly can without, you can't have a budget deficit in California, so, and taxing as much as they possibly can. 
So we see on the, the March ballot a uh, Prop 13 has no relation to the 1978 historic Prop 13 that capped property taxes. Um, but this one would, uh, uh, it's a bond, it's just a school bond, state school bond, but it would increase the debt limit at localities. So local school districts will be able to start passing more bonds. And then in November, we're going to have a split rolls, which would split away commercial properties from the Prop 13 tax protection. So that's another, that's a union-backed thing that's just a, would be a massive influx of money. And there's, I don't see any end to their appetite for, for taxing. And then it just can't tax enough. We talked a little bit about Plunder, your book on the public pension dynamic. You're currently working on a project talking about water infrastructure, which is something that's really important for California in particular. Is it a similar story? Is it, is, is it one of incompetence fueled by greed? Or is, it, um, is there something different that's going on there on the infrastructure side? Well, what we have is our state, uh, a lot of it under... Uh, former Governor Pat Brown, you know, Jerry Brown's father, but preceding him even more. We, we built an amazing plumbing system, right? We've got, and the feds too. We've got the uh, Central Valley Project and the State Water Project and the Colorado River Aqueduct, with which Metropolitan Water District of Southern California built. And we've created this amazing system and the, the state's population continues to grow exponentially, or had. It's, not, it's only growing by like half of a percent or less now. But it had been growing exponentially, and we just haven't kept up with water systems. And the environmentalists have such sway over water policy, and their goal is just to flush as much water in in-stream flows right out to the Pacific Ocean. Um, so we have, what we have is a... a um, you know, political situation where, you know, the power balance has shifted and, and, we're, and, and we have enough water in the state. We're just not building enough uh, facilities to capture it. And everything, even a, like a desalination plan in Huntington Beach is being held up by the California Coastal Commission over concerns about plankton. I mean, there's an awful lot of plankton in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and, and it just seems like any small project even small storage projects like raising Shasta Dam comes up against lawsuits and environmental uh, constraints. And, I, and we're all for a clean environment. It's just the environmental movement seems to be uh, adamantly against water storage. I think a lot of it is growth control. I think it's a different dynamic. Part of it is state incompetence. I mean, the state governments don't do a good job maintaining their infrastructure. So we saw you know, the or Oroville Dam, when the spillway was in danger of, of uh, crumbling, uh, and they evacuated almost 200,000 people in, in, uh, in that area. Um, and we see, I just saw a report on uh, the condition of the state's dams, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's, they're in terrible shape. Well, a lot of them are in terrible shape. So well, the, the stock state, market going up has fixed that as well, though, right? Oh, yeah. Every, the stock market. It's all go, fixed by the stock market. It all fixed up. That and home values going yes, up. So, we, yes. you know, everything the state touches, whether it's the housing market or, but, you know, the water infrastructure is pretty important. And we, need, we do need things like better water pricing, but, uh, you know, we need to do things like, uh, and it can be done, we need to do things like raising Shasta Dam, the, the dam 600 feet, it was designed to be 800 feet, and an effort to, to raise it by 18 feet is, is, is going to go by the wayside. 
um, you know, even, so. Well, this is, but I mean, to, to, to clarify, like, what, what the concerns are on these types of things, right? There, there are animals that live on the shoreline, and if you raise the dam level, you're going to damage their habitat. There will be adverse consequences. But nature tends to adapt, right? It, 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 well, I mean, we, you know, there are concerns. Some snails will die in the construction, in the, well, in the raising of that this dam. This whole area right? used to be uh, just inundated with floods, right? Yep. I mean, when, uh, you know, one, one, I forget which governor had to take a canoe to the Capitol to be inaugurated after the great flood uh, that, uh, you know, we, we've... we've this is the Sacramento Delta area that you're... Yeah, this whole, whole area. Yeah. And the Sacramento Delta, I mean, you need to restore fish habitats. Yep. There's no problem. No question about that. I mean, yep. but the effort, um, you know, to build tunnels underneath the, the Delta to separate the water supply uh, from the habitats, which would, which, which would uh, potentially accomplish both, the environmentalists were against that. Uh, it's it, yeah. Nobody say we don't need to have fish habitats and to protect those, but just letting water flow out to the sea isn't uh, you know isn't necessarily doing that. There are many reasons for uh, the decline of the Delta smell. You know, part of it is Sacramento and Stockton dumping you know the sewage they dump in, into the Delta, and Sacramento only recently started tertiary treatment um, uh, invasive species, uh, striped bass. Right. Yeah. So when, when I, uh, I covered the uh, during in the middle of the drought, when the state and feds were going to largely empty New Malonis Reservoir to save a dozen hatchery fish, uh, hatchery raised fish mm -hmm. uh, that all would have been instantly eaten by the uh, striped bass before they got anywhere close to the Pacific Ocean. So uh, anyway, water, we could we could do all segment on water. Maybe we will after my book comes out. <laughs> I would actually very much enjoy that when you. When you think about this type of dynamic, though, why things are getting bound up, is it classic nimbyism? Is it make work for uh, environmental engineers and impact statements? What, what, what is driving this resistance? To well, I mean, it's a difference of philosophy. And, um, and of course, I, I, I have environmental concerns also, but I do believe that a lot of the environmental uh, opposition is just uh, entrenched opposition to uh, more water for farms and people, right? And, and it's a lot of it's growth control. And that there's this concern that if we, you know, we, we, it's just a change, a change in philosophy. I think uh, Governor Newsom is, it, well, Governor Brown had a fairly mixed policy. Some of his ideas were good and some of them, uh, you know, were, were uh, sided more with the environmental side. And, but he also proposed the, well, Schwarzenegger proposed it, but he advanced the, the twin tunnels idea and called for more storage. Newsom is moving more in direction, but he's done a variety of things too. I mean, he, um, he's suing the Trump administration over the biological opinions for endangered species regarding the Delta, but he also vetoed uh, Senate Bill 1, which would have um, undermined the voluntary agreements with water districts. What I hear in these discussions is this overwhelming sense of frustration that there is no solution. Oh, I'm not frustrated. I'm just explaining what, I mean, it's, it is frustrating. Well, you are frustrated. It, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I I don't mean, mean to, not, to, to explain yeah. it in the terms of, of bitterness or anything oh, else, yeah, but there's, it's just a, there's just a genuine frustration that we really can't fix this problem under anything that looks like the current situation. Well, things can be fixed. It's just, I, 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 it's hard to see a political system fix things unless there's a crisis, right? I mean, when, when does anything, even at the federal level, the state level, when do things get fixed outside of uh, crisis? 
I mean, we were fixing uh, uh, Folsom Dam and expanding that, and that that after the uh, you know the Oroville Dam is being uh, you know all Repaired, sorts of, yeah. yeah all sorts of work there after the the the, the problems that we had a couple of years ago and after the drought, some of these projects have been approved, but it seems to take a really um, dire situation uh, before before we get there and, and we're we become a very big and inefficient government how do how do we fix the public school system in the state you know it's it's certainly not uh, just throwing more money at it which is what uh, what this this in the last decade with test scores have not done very much and yet we just keep throwing more money at it well, it's unfortunate because there's feedback loops, right? And so if we choose to throw the money that we have available in the public school system towards paying the pensions of existing or retired teachers, then fewer resources are available to the students of today to become productive members of society tomorrow, which in turn makes it more difficult to finance, right? So all of this is creating a feedback loop. The challenge that I see more than anything else is, is that there's simultaneously the desire to not address it today because we're all waiting for that crisis. But if we wait for the crisis, we're inevitably going to have the most haphazard, most expensive, least well thought out outcome. Most likely. Uh, I mean, have, you know, I've worked on bills in the legislature. It's really hard to get things through, especially when you have a political philosophy more like ours, right? Or more of a free market philosophy yeah. there's not a lot of appetite for, for that so then that gets back to your you know discussion about politics what do we do well well elect more people who think like us well if you look at the dis a lot of the districts and um and even after the redistricting commission you look at look at the districts i mean uh, the voters uh, you're, you're gonna have a hard time uh convincing voters of our ideas based on the you know the registrations in the district it's just it's, I don't know, you, you have to convince, I think we're at a point where we have to convince people of ideas. Well, that's certainly what I'm, part of the reason why we're having these discussions is to make people aware of them, to help people focus on them. Part of the thing that worries me most, and we talked about this a little bit early on, is the fact that simultaneously the delivery of a focus on local knowledge has deteriorated because of the loss of the local newspaper, mm -hmm. the local beat reporter, relative to our focus on the national story. So we're very focused on resistance to Trump or right. on something else as compared to resistance to the public union or the challenges associated with providing fire services uh, in a fire-prone area like Northern California or Southern California. This has been a, a fascinating and unfortunately very sobering discussion as we move forward in terms of both the development of the economy and potentially move towards some type of crisis, I'd love to be able to sit down with you again to discuss it. And when your book on the water story comes out, I'd love to have the chance to review that with you as well. That would be great. All right, fantastic. Thank okay. you very much. Thank Steve. you. Take care. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film, we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.